right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. Derek Johnson here with Adam Dravetta on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So much happened over the weekend, and because it all started on Thursday, we have a lot to get to on today's show. Honestly, pretty fortunate that the Chiefs didn't end up playing this week with the bye week just because of the fact that, um, I don't know, we just would have maybe not even had time to talk about it today. So uh, I guess we'll get started today, the ESPN Events Invitational. It was funny. I, I had people like asking me, like, hey, where am I going to watch this game? And I was like, it's called the ESPN Events Invitational. And they said, okay. And I was like, so it's well, on what Fox, do you think? So it's on yeah. Fox Sports. <laughs> right? <laughs> They're like, but is it going to be on like ESPNU or ESPN Plus? It's like, no, it is the ESPN Events Invitational. It is on ESPN. And sure enough, it was. Um, the biggest thing that I can say from the week, and this was something I was texting you about after KU lost to Dayton, how they kind of respond from there. Because, and we were talking before the show about some weird losses that KU has suffered in years past. But it's it's been, like I just said, weird losses where you look back at it at the end of the season, you look back at it, you know, even a month or two later, and you just say, well, that was just a weird performance. Um, and, and that could be the case for this Dayton game, right? You go 9 of 20 from the free throw line. You struggle from three. You had some individuals like Jalen and, and David McCormick really struggle. I, I think it's, it's one of those games where it'd be very easy to excuse as an oddity. And if KU is as good as we think they'll be, Come January, come February, we're going to be looking back on this and say that was just a weird result. But if you would have went out there on Sunday against Iona and you know been tied at halftime and struggled and not kind of learned from that and got a kick in your pants, or if you would have been down to the wire with Iona or lost to Iona, or if this upcoming Friday to St. John's you lose this game on the road, which you know it's a fine opponent on the road, so a win is a win. I'm not really worried about the style points. But if you lose this game to St. John's on Friday, we're going to start to, you know, piece things together. So I guess the best way for me to say this weekend for KU, you know, overall you go two and one. You don't really play a, a super marquee opponent. Dayton had some bad losses before, but they win the tournament. So clearly they're turning a corner with a really young team. This weekend to me was smoke. It wasn't fire. And I think we're, I'm not even close to saying it's fire yet. But like I said, where there's smoke, sometimes there's fire. Sometimes it might just be a, you know, private little uh, barbecue or uh, a private little little bonfire that you're having. That might be the case here. But other times it might be fire. And if we have future reasons to point back to this, then it's going to be the first signal of fire. The question that KU is going to have to answer, and I don't know the answer to, I feel confident in, in well, not confident. I'm leaning toward a certain answer. Uh, but the, the the question that KU is going to have to answer is, who are they? Are they the team that got up 15 on Dayton quick, or are they the team that blew it? And I think I would lean, granted you know the name of this show, 
and and it's no it's no question that we both kind of look at things through um uh you know red and blue glasses although i do think derek and i are both somewhat uh guilty of of instead of being homers we're we're a little bit worry we kind of worry with our teams a little bit um but i would lean more that the the, the right side of things is the KU team that got up um big on uh on Dayton and and i again i could be wrong and they still gave that lead away so you, you know there's some there's clearly some combination of both but what are they more um the game against Iona went in a way that I never expected. If you would have told me KU won, but I think the spread opened at 14 and a half by the, by tip off, I think it was down to 14. Iona covered that, but they covered it by a point. Um if you would have told me KU won by by 13, I never in a million years would have said it was 96 to 83. Right. I would have said it was 75-62. Yeah, and for- I, I never would have thought and that was that was a Roy Williams KU yeah. team yesterday. It was. And for what it's worth, I do agree with you. I do think it's it's more likely than not we're going to look back on this in a couple ways. Like Dayton will end up being really good in the A-10. And again, like Kansas will move on from this. Sure, they'll have other losses. I'm not saying this is going to be a team that goes like 30-2. and two, But That'd I think be they'll be just all right. You know? Yeah, so, I, I look back. And again, I, I would agree. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I, I also am not saying this is where this team is. But... I remember, and and KU fans who are my age or older, uh, Brian Haney, if you are uh, listening, I know you remember, the uh, team, Kirk Heinrich, uh, Nick Collison, Drew Gooden, the 0-1-0-2 team that wound up going to the Final Four, went 16-0 and in the conference. What nobody probably remembers, because that team ended, you know, was so great in conference play and ended the year so well, that team lost in the Maui Invitational to Ball State. That's right. They scored 68 points. That team averaged 90 points a game, and they scored 68 against Ball State in the Maui Invitational. Again, it's I'm not saying that I by no means am I saying this team's going to you know go 16 and two or 18 and 0 in the conference. My point is. Weird things happen in in the Thanksgiving week tournaments. Weird things happen. Uh, the the year before KU uh, won the national title, that team was a one seed. They made it all the way to the Elite Eight before losing to UCLA. It was the same group of players plus Julian Wright who would go on to win the national title. That team lost at home in in November to um, Oral Roberts. Weird things happen in November. So it's it's I think you put it really well. It's it's worth a note. It's not mm-hmm. you're not panicking. But it it's worth writing down because right. it's something you did not expect. Yeah, it's it's like strike one in a baseball count. Like when you get strike one on you as a batter, it's just like all right, move on to the next pitch. But then if you strike out later in the bat, it's like man, I especially wish you would have swung at that getting, first pitch. Especially if you're getting got on pitches that you should know better. Exactly. Like so, it, it, this, I would I would count this. I would agree with your comparison, but I would add to it that it's strike one on a pitch that you probably should have known not to swing at. Yeah. Because KU should have been better than to lose to Dayton. So, as far as takeaways from the week that was, three games for KU, two wins, the upset loss, which, uh, again, they they had all the chances in the world to win that game. I I think the most prevalent, at least among KU fans, we should probably start with David McCormick because I came into last week saying, you know, I'm not ultra concerned about Dave, and I thought this would be a good opportunity for him to show that there shouldn't be really much concern. Coming into the week, he was averaging 9.6 rebounds, almost three blocks a game. He was shooting 60% 
from the field. Coming off what I think was his best rebounding performance when we talked. I, I wasn't here last week, but I think the game, the last game before um, Orlando was was David David's, I think, best. Re, I think it was his first double-digit rebound game, if I'm not mistaken, against Stony Brook. And he was doing all that in, I think it was like 18 minutes a game or something. So I wasn't really overly concerned. Sure, it wasn't quite what you were seeing at the end of last year, but I wasn't concerned. Well, the Dave struggles are now officially a thing this year. And we saw this last year. He struggled so much in the non-con. He finally picked it up in Big 12 play. I didn't really think that was going to be repeated. I just felt like, okay, you figured it out. That would carry over. So now I just have the question of, are we just going to undergo the same path? And if that happens, is that okay? And beyond that, can you trust that switch to be flipped as much as it was last year again this year? I don't believe in in the like I, last year. A lot of people uh, to make a, a not perfect but but somewhat similar comparison. Last year, a lot of Chiefs fans were saying, "Well, Frank Clark is looking really bad." But then they said, well, man, but he was so great. That the Remember the year before with the Super Bowl, and he was so great down the stretch and had an incredible playoffs. We're just waiting for playoff Frank to come along. Well, playoff Frank Clark never came along. Now, my point is, I don't think that's something, and I hope that David McCormick, and I don't think he is, um, but I certainly hope he's not counting on something similar, that he's going, well, I got it figured out last year. Um, now, if ultimately he does get it figured out, then great. Uh, I do think it helps both in David McCormick's motivation and in Bill Self's just uh, pocketbook that um, Bill Self has options this year. I mean, last year it was David McCormick's either going to get better or this team's not going to, you know, this team's really going to be bad. Um, and he got it turned around and they wound up as a four seed. Self has options this year. He has yeah. options with other bigs he can play, and the other he has options and other styles he can play without a traditional big man. So that, you know, I, I don't think it's now. Ku did kind of have a, a pretty decent lead. I think most of yesterday, if I remember right. Um, before that, I mean, it is worth noting that Mitch Lightfoot played one more minute than David mm-hmm. McCormick yesterday, um, and, and so I don't know. I. I I hope that McCormick's thought isn't, well, I got it figured out last year. Um, I don't think it is, but if it is, Self has options to, to motivate him, or if he doesn't if he doesn't figure it out for whatever reason, he's got other guys to play. Yeah, and that, that is the big difference. Last year, I, I think Self realized for his team a season ago to reach its potential, to reach its max point, that, you know, envisionment, in his head, he said David McCormick has to be a key player. David McCormick has to be a really good player. I don't know that that's the same thing for, for this team because of the fact that you do have Ochai and Christian and, and Remy Martin who are looking like a really good big three, and then you have depth around it. Um, Self called out David McCormick after the second game or after the uh, it was after the, the first game. game. Excuse, or oh, was, was it? the Dayton game? I don't even remember. Uh, no, it was after the first game. He called him out after the first game um, in the win against North Texas because he went one of six from the field. He only played 13 minutes. He wound up with three points, three rebounds for the game. So he called him out in the post game afterwards, and that's what made the Dayton game even more odd. He gets called out, and it's not like he was playing great. He was two of six, five points, five rebounds in 25 minutes of play. He gets the last play call of the game, which I know it's been pointed out by several people like Jesse Newell that 
Um, the play was actually blown up because Remy Martin was in the wrong spot, so they couldn't get the easy basket to Dave. But it's still, even if you thought you were getting the easy basket there, it still is weird that the last play you were drawing up was for the guy struggling the most. I mean, how many times have we seen it that, like, it, if you just counted the amount of balls that that have touched Dave's hands, I know that, I hope that doesn't get pulled as a drop, um, on, you know, uh, inbound passes or not inbound passes entry passes or rebounds that he just hasn't been able to hold on to it just it it's very weird that he just hasn't been able to hold on to it. and it's just it's things like that maybe not rotating properly playing strong enough defense inside or we know he's not a mobile defender on the outside struggling on offense to go with it that just kind of added to everything Bill Self kind of called him out for in the first game and then that last game as you mentioned he did actually get outplayed by Mitch Lightfoot in terms of minutes played, but he actually had his best game of the tournament. He goes yeah. 13 points, five rebounds. He goes four of six from the field, but he only plays the 14 minutes. Um, this whole thing is is kind of interesting now. You also have the Bill Self comment after the game of saying that, you know, why would you play K.J. Adams so much? I think he played nine minutes in the game, including a big, like, stretch in the second half there. Because you paid him to play K.J. Adams. No, I, well, <laughs> I wish. Um I, I will donate to that fund, by the way. Uh, he said, point blank, it's because he was our best big man out there. And, and that is quite a telling quote. And I think all of this goes in line with one thing. Setting the play up for Dave at the end, continuing to trust him, calling him out on multiple different occasions. He's trying to find any way possible to encourage him and to get the Dave he knows he can be from last season. He's trying to play motivational tactics. He's trying the... Again, the the light the fire under your butt tactics with the kind of calling you out. He's trying the give you confidence tactics with giving you the ball and continuing to make you a focal point on the offense. I mean, I don't know if that would have done things for his confidence that completely changed things if you would have had that game-winning bucket, basically, or game-sealing bucket against Dayton. I think he's just trying every way possible to get that. But as you mentioned, that is the difference between this year and last year. At some point, and I don't think it's going to be this Friday. I don't even think it'll be in the next couple of weeks. But at some point, it might come at the end of December, maybe in January. If this continues on for David McCormick, with those other options, having Mitch Lightfoot at least being trustworthy in what you know you're going to get from him. Maybe you play Jalen Wilson as a small ball five. K.J. Adams coming in there and continuing to impress in other ways outside of scoring. Zach Clements, we know he can come in there for a 5, 10, 15-minute stretch and hit a couple threes for you. At some point this season, unlike last season, I think the ripcord will be pulled if I, this continues. I agree. I, I think the ideal, in an ideal scenario, the, the play you run there at the end of that Dayton game is David McCormick, who for the record is actually really good at sealing his man. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with that, one, after Remy Martin, um, as Newell pointed out and as you just said, uh, was in the wrong spot. It, it left Dave vulnerable to a double team, which is why he had the ball by himself forever away from the basket, which David McCormick should never be there with a basketball in his hands. Um, but I think the ideal play there is a David McCormick seal and a guard driving to the basket. Mm -hmm. um, and they didn't run it. A rule that I have, I hope you can't hear that car alarm on the air, but uh, anyway, a rule that I have, and, and I know you feel the same way, Derek, is that if, if there's a great coach, no, no great coach is an idiot. They make mistakes, and they're not above criticism, but no great coach is dumb. And as such... Bill Self, who is a great coach, even if he makes decisions that um, are, are, that may deserve criticism and, and makes decisions that you don't know what's going on, he had a reason for it. And my 
we both talked about um, on after that game Friday. My immediate comparison was leaving Udoka in was getting when he was getting hacked in Norman a couple years ago. Um, there's a reason that Bill Self does these things, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that he's trying to find any combination of positive and uh, positive reinforcement. Hey, look, we're still trusting you to um, not so positive reinforcement to just flat saying, look, I know, um, you know, it, it calling him out and, and saying, I know he's better than the way he's played. He's not, it's not like he's coming out saying he's horrible. Uh, he's, he's saying he hasn't played up to the level he expects him to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I think that just further validates what you're saying that he's doing, you know, he's doing something to get McCormick going. I think he believes in the long run, David McCormick is the best man, best big man that they have. But I also think he knows um, and is probably reminding David McCormick, hey, man, Mitch Lightfoot played one more minute than you. Hey, man, this Clements guy is, is, is really good and he's playing a more modern style of a five. Um, you know, look out. Yeah. And so I did have some, you know, people talk to me and be like, I don't think they have as good of options as you might think. Well, I mean, Wilson did struggle in his return, but I think that'll eventually get better. Um, Like I said, I think at some point a ripcord would be pulled and they would just say, okay, maybe KJ Adams and and Zach Clements aren't fully there yet. They're raw, but we're going to have to develop these guys for March. So maybe we'll play them a little bit too early. Um, But that's kind of interesting to me. And I think another piece of this too, isn't just like, oh, who do you replace him with? It's, do we change the role up here, right? Like, does Dave go from being the guy who you're trying to get the ball to in the post to being a guy who is more so in that just like the dunker role where it's just like, you know, if you happen to be open for an alley-oop because this guy comes up on a driving guard, that's when you're going to get the ball. But we've seen those situations even be muddled by him. I, I think honestly... The biggest criticism I could have would just be the hands. It's just dropping passes and and so forth that could turn in to maybe easy baskets for you. And and it just goes back to the, uh, I guess, bull in the china shop kind of saying that we've talked about with Dave so many years throughout his career. It's just odd that you would think in his senior year felt like he finally figured it out at the end of last year. You come into this year thinking he could be an all big 12 level player and then it's just right back to what it was a season ago. I guess it's just you hope that what happens last year, because if what happens last year happens again this year, honestly, that might just be okay because you're getting his best ball in the most important time of the year. It's just like you said, you can't really trust on that or bank on that because of Frank Clark. So we'll see what happens with David McCormick and the center position moving forward. I think uh, that's probably the most interesting storyline coming out of the week. We'll talk more KU basketball coming up later in the show. Coming up next, though, we're going to talk some KU football. David Lawrence will also join us in about 20 minutes. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. David Lawrence joins the show in about 15 minutes from right now, recapping the KU football season with DL. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is RCST on KLWN, klwn.com. So KU... Competitive again with West Virginia on Saturday, 34-28, to the final. Quite a run to end the year for KU. That is three straight competitive games, one of them that you won, two of them that you were dang close to winning at the end. 
And again, it's one of those games I think you point to maybe the TCU game like this. You can point probably to kind of the Duke and Coastal Carolina games like this, even though those ended up a little more spread out in the final score. It was games you were competitive in, but just too many missed opportunities to come away with the win. You have the two red zone possessions that end, one in interception, or maybe both were in interception. Um, the other was a stop, but uh, you come up with two red zone possessions without points, and uh, that'll basically do you in in a game like that when you're Kansas and, and you're behind. But that's pretty incredible that you're talking about Kansas throwing two red zone interceptions and still being in that game. And honestly... You could make the argument if Devin Neal starts that game, if Devin Neal plays that game, KU might end up winning that game. And that is pretty cool that you had another competitive game like that. What were their rushing stats? I don't have those in front of me. What were their rushing stats against West Virginia? Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to. I should have asked that while we were off the air. Um, But, yeah, the point to the the reason I asked is because of the Devin Neal point, which I agree with completely. I I think he he is such a game changer, uh, and I don't think it's – out of, I mean, he's. I just, I don't think it's crazy to say that KU currently has one of the best running backs in the conference. Now, the biggest thing with any great freshman is, you know, the difference between a great freshman and a great sophomore because other teams are going to get better, other defensive players are going to get better, and other defensive coordinators are going to get better. And so, Devin Neal, it's now on him to get better. Um, he can't just take what he did and, and say, "Well, I was great as a freshman, therefore I'll be great as a sophomore." And I, you know, you know, but there's no reason to think he won't put in the work. I'm sure he will. Uh, but if he does put in the work, I mean, he's he's really good, man, and he is a difference maker. And I think he makes um, you wonder. I don't, I don't know what was going through Jalen. You know, that that last interception in the red zone that Jalen Daniels threw was was. I, I'll be honest, I just didn't think it was that good of a pass. I think he, th- he tried to thread it into double or triple coverage. I really didn't like that pass. But, you look, mistakes happen. He's a kid. Uh, he's also just a freshman. So, you look, I, I'm not, you know, he still had a really good game. He had a really fantastic ending to the season. But my point is, does Jalen Daniels feel less like he needs to make that sort of risk if he's got a player like Devin Neal by his side? You know, do they, do they throw a little less or... or does Devin Neal force them to load the box a little bit so nobody is triple covered? Um, you know, a lot. He he plays a lot of factors just beyond his running ability, the decision making of the entire offense change, and therefore the decision making of the opposing defense changes when he's on the field. Maury Pesek Hickson had a good game, twelve carries, sixty yards. But you'd like to think Devin Neal maybe gets you a little more, and twenty of those yards and, came on one run. Outside yeah, of that, I, I think there's more. Like you can count on Devin Neal to bust open twenty, at least a couple, twenty, fifteen to twenty yard runs every game. Yeah, and if you take out that one for Mori Pesikixin, it's eleven for forty, which is under four yards per carry. Uh, but Jalen Daniels, you mentioned twenty two of thirty two, two hundred forty nine yards, touchdown, two interceptions for him, two bad interceptions. I thought outside of that though, he played a good game. So it's kind of weird because those are mistakes you can't have. The red zone interceptions that prevent you from getting points. But again, besides that, he was solid overall in the game. So did you see enough from him in that game to make you feel like, okay, I I feel confident he's going to probably be the starter headed into next year. Obviously, you never know what will happen with the offseason competition. But just 
in our brains, do you feel like he had enough in that game to continue what he did and feel like he has the edge moving forward? Yes, and the reason I say that is because he, we talked a lot about we we saw Jason Bean's ceiling, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Well, we're really good. I'll go beyond yeah. pretty good. I'll say really good. His ceiling was really good, but we also saw his floor, which was. So I don't. I usually uh, you'll you'll find a lot listening to me um, that I, I'll, I'm much more willing to be. Uh, harsher in my criticisms of pro athletes than I am of college athletes. So I, I don't like to say that a college athlete was flat bad, but I can't really find a way to describe Jason Bean's bad games other than they were just really bad. If what we saw, and, say, and I bring that up because we saw Jason Bean's ceiling, it was really good. We saw Jason Bean's floor, it was really bad. I, I talked a couple weeks ago, we'd seen Jalen Daniels' ceiling, which was pretty high. Um, we, had we yet seen Jalen Daniels' floor? If he has a higher floor than Jason Bean and a comparable ceiling, then it's obvious he's the starter. If what we saw on Saturday against West Virginia was Jalen Daniels' floor, then he's the guy. 100%. Because that floor, like I said, even though it came with two crucial mistakes... That that could have... That could be... Let's say you... you you know, you just throw that away instead, and, and that's six more points for, for, well, if they make the field goals, mm-hmm. then you got a tie game. So you have that, and like you said, some of Jason Bean's worst games, when you think of like Texas Tech, for instance, or Iowa State, you just didn't do anything offensively, and you were at least move, able to move the ball. So I go into the offseason thinking that he did enough. I go into the offseason thinking that Jalen Daniels has the edge, that Jalen Daniels is going to be the guy next year. Doesn't mean that's all going to necessarily happen. But I didn't see enough from that game to make me think otherwise. And now you head into the offseason with that momentum of just that was the most important thing. You didn't go out there and lose by 20. You didn't go out there and lose by 30 to where, yes, if you would have won that game, I would have loved to see what the momentum would have been at that point. But it just at least sustained. Like what you did these last two weeks against TCU and West Virginia, they sustained the momentum you started with the Texas game. I'm going to sound like, sorry, go ahead. Well, and and so uh, instead of, I guess, doubling down on that or exponentially raising it, you were able to at least carry it forward. And I think now with the offseason, I think it's even more important than ever in college football ever since they added the new December signing period a couple years ago when it's so close to the end of the season, especially if you're not in a bowl game like Kansas is not, you have to gain as much momentum toward the end of the season as possible. And I think that's only going to help them in the transfer portal. I think that's only going to help them in recruiting, especially when you see guys like Jared Casey going off or guys like Kwame Lasser, whose dad played. And uh, you have those guys who stuck with the program for so long, like the senior class or the local kids like Jared Casey going off. That has to only help you moving forward this offseason. Um, what I was going to say, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I've talked again about all the moments where what, what would previous KU teams have done in a situation where it feels like, oh, no, this is the moment where everything unravels. I really believe a previous KU team, when, when they, all right, awesome, pick six, you know, bummer, you've got a punt. You know, you had a chance to tie it. You're 21-13, bummer, you got a punt. You don't have a chance to tie it anymore. Oh, my gosh, pick six, it's tied again. You get the two-point conversion. This is amazing. What happens? West Virginia, bam, bam, all of a sudden it's 34-21. Previous KU teams would have lost that game 48-21. to Yeah. And they didn't, and they they were an onside kick. And now look, it would have taken an onside kick and a hail mary. Um, I don't know that anybody really thought they were going to win, even after they got that late touchdown. But you still saw them fighting for that late touchdown. 
realizing they weren't mathematically out of it. And they never got to the point where they were mathematically out of it. They never they, they never looked at it going, you know, because West Virginia ran it right down their throat after that pitch, pick six. But at no point did you see a KU team that just went, well, we tried our best to get back into it. It's just not in our, our day. I, I just I, I I cannot count the amount of times I've seen this year under Lance Leipold that I have watched and gone, man, this team didn't win, but they would have just folded the tents and lost by thirty in in previous years, and they did not. They, I mean, they, they they had some games this year where they got trucked. We all know that, but I just I saw so many moments this year where I just thought, man, if this was another year, this is where it falls apart, and this team loses by four touchdowns and. Those moments were much fewer this year, and I, I I think that was another example of that against West Virginia, and that's why, as you said, um, no, you did it, it would be wrong to say that they built on their momentum, but I think it would be unfair to say maybe you could say they lost some of it because they did lose, but they certainly didn't lose much. So I I don't think you could ask for a better two and ten season for KU football than they had this year. Let's talk more about it. With David Lawrence, he joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Weather is brought to you by Club Car Wash on West 6th Street and East 23rd Street in Lawrence. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. Joined now by David Lawrence, color man for KU football on the Jayhawk Radio Network. All right, David, I got a uh, trivia question for you. This season for KU, the final month of the season in November, they had a minus 33 point differential. That was their best point differential since when? Mm. Uh, 2008. That is correct. 2008. Um I don't know if that tells you anything specifically, but certainly it has to make you feel pretty good at where things are going with the arrow pointed up toward the end of the season. Absolutely. Um, just so many things looking up. Uh, disappointed we didn't win. And I have things changed. You know, we've immediately gone from just wanting to be competitive to we want to win the games now. Um we had an opportunity to win. We weren't able to get it done. But just looking back on the, the tremendous improvement that we have seen week by week and, you know, uh, just throw out a team like Duke, if we could play them next week, you know, what do you think the outcome would be? <laughs> I think it would be just worlds different. Um, and, and that just kind of tells you, you know, how far this has gone. I guess we'll know pretty soon because we'll play him next year. We'll have a new coach. But, yeah, it's been exciting to be a part of. I, my my pet peeve through the years is that senior day hasn't been a big deal. And this year it was, you know, because just remembering back and how special mine was playing Missouri on the last game of the year. This one – didn't matter as far as the bowl, but it mattered so much because the progress had been marked and the naysayers were looking to see if, you know, we were going to fall back and there'd be a blow up or blow out like we saw after the Oklahoma game. And I strongly felt there would not be. And so excited that occurred another competitive game but disappointed we didn't get the win because we had a chance 
Well, what can you say about some of those seniors? Because I think, you know, whenever there's a foundation being built and if this thing does turn around like we think it's going to with Lance Leipold, we're going to look back to maybe this year and, and say that, you know, they didn't have the results this year necessarily, but big thanks to guys like Kwame Lasseter and so forth for helping lay that foundation. So what can you say about some of these individual seniors and in, in this class overall uh, for KU? Kwame and Kyron are pretty special guys. And the way they ascended uh, literally the last month of their career, I mean, what a way to go out, you know, uh, that they're going to have great memories. Kyron has always been that guy because of his extreme speed and ability to explode off the line of scrimmage. You know, we thought he could be that guy. In the last month of the season, he certainly showed that, you know, probably the most dominant defensive lineman the last month of the season in the conference is my guess. I mean, the number of forced fumbles, sacks, and, of course, uh, had the pressure when Gavin Potter intercepted the ball on, on Saturday. And Kwame Lasseter is just uh, – he's amazing. And not just his ability to make plays, and he just – continued to ascend um, on Saturday at seven balls, 45 yards. You know, I think he was close to having a bigger day than that, but his leadership in that receiver room and on the team and to his little brother is, uh, is exceptional. And the testimony that they put out there every time they talk about Lance Leipold and the staff and the direction the program is going. I mean that you, you just can't you can't buy that. It's it's worth so much, you know, when recruits talk to him because he really feels it. I mean it's it's impressive. So uh, th- those guys will go on to be very special uh, to me and to Jayhawk Nation and Wallace and. You know, there's a couple of guys that are seniors that didn't uh, take the walk out on senior day. And so, you know, that's kind of exciting. Not that there's anything uh, decided yet, but people like, you know, Earl Bostick and some key defensive linemen like Sampson and Lee and I think Eddie Wilson, Sam Bird, I think we already know. But, uh, I mean, the, the value of having those guys is better than getting transfers in the portal because they're just a, a mixed bag. You don't exactly know what you're going to get. You know what you get with these guys. You had uh, got team players that know exactly what it takes um, under this regime and are prepared to make any sacrifices to get that to happen and, you know, with all three of those guys, four of those guys, they've made tremendous improvement. Uh, so, you know, just more reason to be excited about the future. And as I said on the broadcast, I think you can argue they're about a year ahead of where it would have been logical to say we would be at, you know, given the fact the number of people uh, that transferred out of this program and not having the spring ball. And I get it. We had a few guys that came through in the portal, but I mean, we lost some, some major players, some, some guys that'll be playing in the league someday. 
and to pull up your pants and jump in there despite no preparation in the spring and starting out that many days behind and having a difficult time getting started to finish out, you know, with three very competitive games, winning one of them. And it's like you said, the uh, closest November in 13 years. So uh, it's, it's exciting to be around and there should be no doubt, you know, that this is the guy. And I've known that throughout the year, but the evidence is just uh, very, very uh, tangible and out there. And of course that's what's going to bring in recruits. And I do think that, you know, between the portal and recruits and transfers, um, there's going to be there's going to be a handful that we get that we wouldn't have got, you know, without this November. So it uh, it was a big leap up, and, and excited to be around. And Lance is a Lance is a good guy, you know, a lot like our head basketball coach. I mean, he he treats people, you know. Well, he's not arrogant. He just goes about his job every day and uh, really cares about the, the kids as young men and uh, like you should. So, I mean, we we got a great one and uh, looking forward to the future. Did you see enough from Jalen Daniels on Saturday to, I guess, continue on what he did previously and, and think that he has the edge for the starting spot headed into next year or – uh, do you feel like maybe it is going to be more of a 50-50 competition between him and Jason Bean? Well, I, I can't speak for Coach Leipel. Um My opinion is, uh, um, first of all, there's always competition. This is amateur football. You, I don't know that you ever just say, this is the guy for my, you know, the start of the first game next year. I don't know if it's Houston or Duke or or whatever. I mean, I, I just don't think people do that, but I, I certainly think that he is our guy. Uh, what he can do is, uh, I mean, he put together back-to-back games the best we've had since racing. You know, I don't know that he played quite as well on Saturday, but West Virginia had a lot to do with that. I mean, it was the best defensive line in the conference, and uh, but still, I thought Played okay, played played good. Uh, the two weeks before that, he was better than good, and we immediately, you know, enter games with a quarterback advantage, and that says a lot. And something we haven't enjoyed, you know, going back to Todd Reesing. So uh, I'm excited about him. I, I think he certainly has proved he continues to ascend and, and you know he's not happy where he's at he wants to get better and i'm pretty certain he wants to play in the nfl right because he's got an nfl arm and uh that's great because they'll get him ready for that and uh to answer your question i, I certainly think he's the guy talking with david lawrence here on rock chalk sports talk can you think of another story in your time being at or covering KU football, watching this team, that is anything close to the hysteria of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks with Jared Casey? <laughs> no, because obviously uh, 
you couldn't have a story like that because the social media, of course, NIL, nothing new this year. But what what a story. And to, to add to that, and I think I mentioned this on the broadcast as well, how many more guys are we going to get from Western Kansas because of Jared Casey? Right? And if you look back on how Bill Snyder, you know, built his program, and I'm not, I'm not shy at all about saying I want to do what that dude did, right? I mean, I have such respect for him. Um, but he did it on getting such a large percentage of those guys out in Western Kansas. And I know Lance Leipold wants that. But I think that's what Jared Casey has done for this program is we are on the map to a lot of good football players out there. And to get them as preferred walk-ons, you know, allow them to prove themselves to be awarded a scholarship is a great way to go because they don't count against your incoming number. So uh, it's fantastic. And certainly, uh, I I think what he'll be, he's proven his hands. I mean, I've I've seen him make those one-handed catches in practice. He, He does that pretty routinely. But his blocking is very, very good. And I think a couple of, a year or two in the weight room, he's going to become a dominant physical guy at the H-back that so many teams have that is used almost like a pulling guard, a guy that blows up the line of scrimmage, linebacker, defensive end, or whatever. And uh, I, I just, that's my favorite position. And we haven't had one. And I think it's going to be Jared Casey. Yeah, and, and so cool that he has had the blow up after that play. It wasn't just one play, and that he's still, I think he redshirt freshman this year. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who can be in the program for quite some time and really continue to develop that story. Uh, overall, as we look back at this season and take inventory where KU's at as a whole, what do you think would be the defining trait or the defining theme of the story so far for Lance Leipold and his staff uh, at the end of year one? I would say it has gone exactly what he says to our kids every day in practice. His mantra is 1% better today. And I I get it. There's probably a lot of programs that that say that, but I think his kids believed it. And I think they went out and executed that 1% better. To my point earlier, if we were to replay the Duke game, or Coastal Carolina, particularly if I think their quarterback got hurt. Uh, I mean, we're going to see a different outcome. And you'll see a blowout against South Dakota because that 1% better each day makes a huge difference after three months. So I I think the kids buying in and uh, really believing in this program and understanding the scheme, the outside zone, blocking, uh, is very, very different. And Scott Fuchs has done an amazing job. He, he just has. And not, not to leave out the other guys. I mean, Emmett Jones working with those wide receivers. All right, we haven't had wide receivers block like that for such a long time. And, and not that there won't be some bumps in the road, right? I mean, someone will probably leave. That's just what today's all about. But Having the advantage of everyone in place now, I think you're you're going to get a big hit 
or, or a bump up in the portal. Recruiting has really stepped up, as I mentioned before, because of November. We're going to get a higher quality kid. And uh, we're going to go into spring locked and loaded with the coaching staff and with a quarterback. With a quarterback, how many times did you say, you know what, we might have as good a quarterback as anywhere in the conference? I mean, even Reesing in the day, and of course, we felt he was the best one, but that was back when there was, what, three other guys that got more uh, hype than Reesing did. But uh, that, that's, that says a lot, because having having a quarterback of that quality gives you a chance every game, and he's going to be surrounded by some guys, and, and everyone's been bumped up, right? So I'm not going to put them on the fact that we had, what, four running backs hurt or leave, maybe five if you count the one that left. So that's going to be a pretty solid position next year. You know, we lost Lassiter and Kyron Johnson. They'll be missed, but the magnitude that everyone else steps up, and we're going to get some uh, impressive guys in the portal, and we might hang on to a couple of guys that I mentioned early. So there will be bumps in the road, okay? It's not smooth sailing because everyone else is trying to do the same thing we are. And they're, they're starting at a higher place because right now it's not a level field. Everyone's got more talent. And that's what's impressive about November. I mean, we were going against teams that had quite a bit more talent than us. And uh, we were well coached. We didn't turn it over. And we didn't have stupid penalties. So that's how you win games. He is David Lawrence. It was fun hearing you on the call all season long. We'll hear you as well on pregame, obviously, throughout the year for KU basketball and whatnot. But before we let you go, David, one last thing with my producer and co-host, Adam Dravetta. Adam, go for it. All right, David, one last thing. Uh, what was the last prize that you won in a contest? Ooh, last prize that I won in a contest. Wow. I'll give this some thought. I'll have to. I'll have to send it in to Derek, and he'll, he'll give that on the air. We'll make. But, yeah, we'll make sure to. We'll, we'll we'll announce it as soon as you get it in. Okay. We can I'll say. You. you know what? You won the contest of life by being to get on <laughs> with us. <laughs> hey, every day. I know it's a it's a great day. I win the contest every day. Uh, I love my life. I love covering Kansas sports, and. Um, getting to, to, to know people like Derek and I look forward to getting to know you and yeah, so it's a, it's a good gig and uh, I'm happy with what I've got going on and I look forward to the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time, David, as always, and uh, had a really fun season hearing you on the call. Appreciate it, Derek. Bye-bye guys. All right. That was David Lawrence. This is rock chalk sports talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN one hour down two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports.
Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was, right now, on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, this is your Monday, so it's time for Case of the Mondays. Extra special Case of the Mondays today because coming off a four-day weekend, like, you go one of two ways when you have a bunch of days off, and and I don't know, I haven't even asked you this, Adam, because you were gone for a full week and you were in Cancun, so... It was nice. Well, and that's the thing, like, I... While I had four days off, you know, I'm with my in-laws, I'm I'm sticking around in kids. It's not like I was in, like, a tropical destination, right? Um, You, on the other hand, were in a tropical destination. I always feel like after you come back from a trip or a long weekend, one of two things happens. Either you had the perfect amount of time at the trip and you come back and the day before you're just like, I'm just glad I'm home, glad to be in my own bed, and I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to go back into work. And then there are other times when it's just like, no, I needed another week. I needed more time. Where are you on that spectrum right now? Um, so the biggest thing we did, the prob, the, probably the reason I'm much more on the happy to be back spectrum. One, I love being in my own bed to the point like I, I, I love being on vacation, but I legitimately get anxious ahead of vacation because I, I hate not being in my, like I, like a lot of the reason I don't drink mm-hmm. or, or drink very much is because I, I like if you know this, I've been to your house so many times that I've not drank at all, or maybe I'll just have one beer. And it's because I hate sleeping in other people's houses. I love being in my own bed. So I always know I'm going to be driving home. Um, and so I'm happy to get home. But another reason I feel even stronger about that is we we had a buffer day. Um, years and years ago, we went to um, Vegas. And um, we, we left early, early on a Friday. We came back early on a Sunday. And it was just a rager of a weekend. And Sunday morning, we leave the hotel at like 6 a.m., mm-hmm. and I'd gotten to sleep at like 4.30. Sounds like and, Vegas. I mean, oh, it's bad, man. And I get, I get, we get to the airport, and, and my girlfriend at the time, um, who this may, this weekend, that weekend may have been an example of why she's not my girlfriend anymore, but my girlfriend at the time, I just, I sit down in the terminal, I give her 20 bucks, and I go, I need you to get me a large coffee and a bottle of water, or else I'm going to die before we get on this airplane. And I mean, it was bad. And so I bear. So we got home that early sun, Sunday afternoon, and that next day I was back at work. Point is, we got back from Cancun Saturday night. I actually was home to watch the second half of the KUS Virginia game to give you an idea of what time we got home. Um, and so we had, we got back relatively early Saturday night and had Sunday as a buffer to kind of chill. That made things a lot easier. Um, and then on top of that, I like this job. This time last year, I mean, I really like this job. This time last year, I was delivering for a company, um, and I'm not going to say who, uh, but their logo has a smile, and it's Amazon. <laughs> and um, so I was delivering for Amazon, which was a fine job. They were good people. They treated me well, uh, but I didn't like the job. It was, you know, um, so it's it's much easier to, to come back from vacation, to come back from a long weekend when you basically come in and you sit down and talk about sports, which is what I was going to be doing anyway. Um, So that makes life way easier. Yes, it does. Um, But I do think for me, this was one of those four-day weekends where I got to Sunday and I was like, "Ah, I could use another day. 
I don't know. I get it, man. It's like I always felt the Fourth of July, the 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 day, the holiday on the Fourth of July needs to be the fifth. Because we're out, you know, shooting off fireworks yeah. the night of. Nobody's doing anything during the day of the fourth. Right. If you want to make them both days, fine. So you can start barbecuing early on the fourth. Um, you know, you can get the smoker going at like six a.m. to make you know your meat's perfect by the time you pull it out for dinner. But my point is, yeah, I, I think there is something to be said about that extra. Like, you really have to be smart with your Sundays. They need to yeah. be more recovery than... than um, yeah, they really than, do. It than, can't be like the last day yeah. of the vacation. It's just like, okay, a day of relaxation like, if you're This time of year, let me tell you this. If you're putting up your Christmas decorations, always do it on a Saturday because mm. you don't want to be getting done working outside all day on a Sunday only to sit there and go, oh, I don't even get to sleep in tomorrow. There was a lot of college basketball on last week with all the the non-conference tournament, which, love that, which are always love fun. that week. So much fun. It'll be um, so much better next year. Knock on wood. Hopefully Maui is actually back in Maui. I, I have uh, three big takeaways from the college basketball week that was last week. I have three teams who are officially back. First team on the list is Iowa State. That was a good hire for them. It was. And uh, they bring in a couple transfers. They, I don't know. They've got a couple really good kind of guards. Uh, Tyrese Hunter, really good defender on the outside and then they've got this like Brockington kid who's really good and they uh got a nice couple wins in their tournament they beat a top 25 Xavier team and they blew these teams out they only have one they're they're undefeated right now only one of their wins has even come by single digits so they look really good again if I had to give you an early top five ranking of big 12 teams who would you go with right now Baylor's one I don't Mm -hmm. think it's close I'm still giving KU second yeah um I think they're I would agree with you in the top two right now um it's hard to not see Would, what Baylor I'm, did last week I'm, in beating really good opponents and, and KU getting upset and having yeah. Bears number one. Yeah, ba- Baylor, I think, is very the way they perform. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody wants to say, I'm, you know, well, it's it's or too early in the season, I'm still basing it on who I think is the better team and they want to lean KU, I won't disagree with that. But I just think if you, if you look at performance to this point, um, it's Baylor. But whatever. I got Baylor one, Kansas two. This may be where we start to disagree. I would still keep Texas third. No, it's still um, And I'm trying to think. I guess Iowa I mean, State fourth. You could go Iowa State. They're, uh, they're I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, right Oklahoma has some wins. Oklahoma. Uh, you could go Texas Tech, who's undefeated, but they haven't played anybody. I think at like the top 230 of Ken Palm, something like that. But I think they're going to be good. Oklahoma State has a lot of players back. Even though they stumbled in their opener, they've kind of bounced back since then. You kind of wonder how much that was the emotion, the emotional letdown of. It was like a day or two after they learned they weren't going to be able to play in the tournament. That's probably what it was, honestly. So I don't know. There's a lot of good candidates, but I guess my point here is that Iowa State could be that team. And for a team, a lot of people were kind of project, projecting was maybe going to be the ninth or the tenth best team in the Big 12 this year. That is quite the come up. And we've seen this before, right? We've seen other Big 12 teams. I, I always think back to uh, Trey Young with Oklahoma, where mm-hmm. they come out and in the non-con, they do what Iowa State is doing. They beat a lot of good teams by a lot, and Trey Young's going off. And then all of a sudden, once we get into conference play and there's more scouting out there and you're playing teams twice, playing teams you're more familiar with, then all of a sudden the book gets out on how to figure yeah. them out, and then maybe they end up finishing seventh. Maybe that'll happen with Iowa State, but it's been an impressive start for them. As long as you keep them, at the very least, I mean, Iowa State has won as many games this year as they did all of last year. Um, I, I think that's right. Didn't they only win five last year? I don't know what they won overall. I don't think they won a single Big 12 game, though. I'm pretty sure they won five games. It wasn't games. many. I'm pretty sure they won five games all of last year, which means they've already met or surpassed their win total from last year. 
and it's not December. So at the very least, I mean, even if even if Iowa State comes in um, and and you know only goes ten and eight in the conference, and instead of staying in the top twenty five, they wind up as like a, a bubble team, and maybe they're a ten seed, maybe they barely they're one of the first teams out of the tournament. Either way, you got to be feeling good in Ames about TJ Oselberger. Yeah, um, you got to feel good about that hire as long as you can keep him because they, um, you know, they kept having uh, who was the guy that replaced the mayor. Um, oh, uh, Steve. Pr- I always forget Prom. Prom. Steve Prom. Yeah, but, Steve yeah. Prom. They they had a, his first year was great with them, and then they kept having diminishing returns. I think you got to feel really good about T.J. Oldsberger. He's he's started off really well, um, and there's no you know you got to think they'll continue it. I like Iowa State this year, the direction they're going. The other team that's back, you may have heard of them, the Duke Blue Devils. Duke. Coach K. This was bound to happen, right? Coach K's final season. Um, now they go out there. They beat Gonzaga on Final Friday night. Final four is in New Orleans. He cannot win the national title. Final oh, that's four, right. It's what, Indy or Minneapolis? Indy or Minneapolis are the only places Mike Krzyzewski wins the national title. All right, I'm glad you told me that. Yes, that gives me hope. I could not deal with Coach K's last season, his farewell tour, and he wins the <laughs> national title. You know how insufferable that would be? I'm a true example of how things are supposed to be. <laughs> I never promised anybody anything. He's like in the I'm post the gr- game. I'm the greatest ever uh, in a sport yeah. where everybody cheats, but I've never cheated. <laughs> Paulo Bancaro goes for like 40 and 20 in the title game. He's like, he wouldn't be that without my <laughs> teaching, and I'm just glad that he decided to come to Duke. I'm a teacher who happens to coach basketball. Yeah. And by the way, the whole, you know, I don't even want to get into it, but the sham that, no, I will get into it. Uh, the sham <laughs> that like, you know, oh, he's just this general. He was in the army. He coached basketball for army. Let's not act like Coach K was actually in the Army overseas fighting a war. I don't, I don't think that happened. If I'm wrong, then somebody's going to get mad at me. Yeah, I don't whatever. I don't know much about that. I, I just, I think, look, I think, I, I, I will, I think Mike Krzyzewski is the greatest coach in the history of the sport, and I don't think it's close. Um, but I think he goes moral high ground a little too much yes. for my case, or for my taste. I believe I said this through the Lance Armstrong saga when every, or not every, but most Americans just wanted so badly that, to believe that Lance Armstrong was this incredible inspiration. And look, coming back from cancer is inspirational enough mm-hmm. and, and doing that, but the, the, the constant winning and, oh my God, no, there's no way he's cheating. Look, if you are one of the best in a sport where everybody, I call this the Lance Armstrong rule. If you are one of the best, in a sport where a lot of people cheats, cheat, you are also cheating. And I don't fault Mike Krzyzewski for that, uh, but I, you know, no, I don't, care, don't, don't claim exactly, you're above it. Exactly. Now, look, you know, and, and look, cheating, and when I say cheating, I'm you know, it's not like he's pumping his players full of steroids or anything. It's not like what was going on at Baylor with the football program or pre-Scott Drew what went on with that basketball program. It's nothing abhorrent like that. If great players are getting a few bucks because Mike Krzyzewski's making $8 million on their work, that's okay to me. But don't when when right. Cal, when Calipari says what he says, don't snap back and play the moral high ground. You're part of it, man, and that's okay. But don't try to act like you're above it. Yeah, no, it's, it's insufferable. And then the last team moves back, Arizona. Um, Arizona had a pretty good season last year. But they were ineligible for the tournament. I don't know if they would have ended up making it. They would have been close. I think they might have. But they had some good young players on the team. And then Sean Miller gets fired. 
And now Tommy Lloyd comes in, who was the assistant at Gonzaga for so long. And uh, he's going to only continue to help them in recruiting, international recruiting. And they've started really well. They blew out Michigan, who was a preseason top five team. They're undefeated. I think they're ranked 11th in the AP poll today. I kind of think Arizona's getting going to be back here. And maybe Pac-12 basketball is back. UCLA, Arizona, USC's been solid here. I think that he's going to get them back to what Arizona was at the height of Sean Miller and what we were maybe used to with Arizona in like the early 2000s. Lute Olson. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't look Arizona, and I, I know you're not suggesting this either. Arizona is not at the level of Kansas and Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina. No, I view that but as I, maybe that next year. Yeah, they're around there. But the point is, I think in every sport and every league, there are certain teams and certain programs that that sport is better when certain teams are better, and I think Arizona is one of those teams in college in, in college basketball. Well, because they're they're the, kind of the representative. Like again, if your blue bloods are Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas, the and, only one past the Mississippi you know, River there is Kansas, exactly. And so UCLA, the, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're top five team right now. There's no reason for them to not. But even if you go to that next tier, it's like Michigan State, Villanova, right? Yeah. Where those aren't there either. So having Arizona be good, I think, is just, like you said, it's it's good for college basketball. Arizona was, uh, they participated in one of my least favorite and one of my favorite college basketball games ever. One uh, at the expense of Kansas and one to the benefit of Kansas. Um, The 97 Sweet 16 and the 2003 Elite Eight. NCAA Volleyball Tournament released its 64-team field on Sunday night. Rock Chalk, Ray Bashar. That's right. They made the cut. They ended up 16-11 and 11 on the year, 8-8 and eight in Big 12 play. They were sitting at 12-11, and 4-8 and eight in Big 12 play. This was after they had a strong start. Um, they almost beat Texas, took them to five sets. I think they got up to, like, top 12 or so in the RPI, and then they kind of struggled a little bit, but they beat TCU twice, and then they beat Kansas State twice last week, both on the road. They... They were down two sets to none on Saturday, I believe, and they, they came back and won. I know I couldn't. I don't remember exactly. I know it was a five setter. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, this this year, and I don't know if this was a COVID thing. Uh, for those who don't know, Derek and I, um, w- w- students, when we were at KU, I hope they're still doing this, or at least maybe they'll bring it back after COVID. I hope eventually they do. Anyway, when we were at KU, uh, students got this really awesome opportunity with uh, volleyball soccer, a baseball, and softball, where eventually, or essentially you, you applied for the job, and if you were lucky enough to get it, you became what was essentially the Brian Haney or Bob Davis of that team. So Derek and I, my senior year, Derek's, uh, and then the following year, Derek took over. We both had the chance to to pl- do play-by-play for KU Volleyball. Um, we, they made the tournament both times that we did it. In Derek's case, they made it all the way to a Final Four. Um, so point being, we, we have a, a connection um, to this program and, and it's just a fun, it's a fun atmosphere that, you know, the, the arena was, you know, uh, Horish Event Center was always fun because it got really bumping when the team started getting good. Now it's not only fun with the fans and fun with the band, but golly, it's just an amazing uh, actual location. Like it's an amazing arena now. Um, I'm really happy. I'll be honest with you because they had they had two really good back-to-back recruiting classes. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was sitting there going, this is, you know, I, I it was like, man, I you know, because you still follow them because you know Coach B and you're like, man, this is kind of, I hope they get it turned around because they have so much talent. And they've, they've, they're humming right now. Um, 
What I was going to say, and, and I, I went on a bit of a tangent, they they've done, they did something unique this year that they did not do while we were there. You, your games, you, you played back-to-back on the weekends. You played you played the same team COVID Friday thing. night. Yeah. yeah, and so you would play the team Friday night, and then you turn around and play them again Saturday afternoon. And they did that as, as part of COVID to limit how much a team has to travel. Um, so that's why they played all these teams. You know, that's why, in this case, they played K-State. And did they, they beat them in four sets on Friday, right? They beat them three to one on Friday, beat them an exciting and um, they, they beat them fifteen to twelve in the fifth set. It was a really fun fifth set on Saturday. So good for them. I had I texted Derek. I had a good feeling. The KU volleyball account posted on Twitter and on Facebook their their pages. Uh, join us tonight. the The selection show is um, tonight. I think it was seven thirty last night on ESPNU. Point being, when they posted that on social media, I thought they must feel nobody, of course, knows because you're never told ahead of time unless you get an automatic bid by winning your conference. Nobody knows, but I thought they must feel really confident that they're going to be part of this thing. And and they are, and that's outstanding. Yeah, it's exciting. It's the 10th all-time appearance for KU. They get Oregon now, who's a, a really good team from the Pac-12. That'll be at 4.30 in Omaha. If they win that, they'll face either Creighton or Ole Miss. You would think it'd be Creighton, their 14th seed. They're hosting the event, and that would be kind of cool if KU were to get a chance to play Creighton, a team who ousted them a handful of years ago when they were the unseeded team on the road and, and get a little revenge. But it, it is a very young, like, not everybody on the team is young. They have some players who are seniors, juniors, super seniors who are contributing on the team. But some of the best players on the team, like Caroline Crawford, uh, Caroline Bien, they're freshmen and sophomore. In the case of Crawford, she could technically be considered a second-year freshman. And because of the COVID year, because you have so many good young players, there's a really good nucleus on this team that could be around for years to come that I think this is just kind of the beginning of another nice run and, uh, for KU Volleyball. And the name Caroline has uh, been a good name for, for this program. I think uh, Caroline Jarmok was yep. on the team when they made their very first Sweet 16 back in 2013. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's, there's they've got a good coach, they've got good players, and I'm excited for them. I, w- I would love that idea that, like, Ray Bouchard, when he's recruiting, he, you know, he goes to... I don't know, whatever high school coach or AU coach. Or, you got any Carolines? Yeah, he's like, you got any Carolines? That's all I care because they've worked out, like you said, very, very well. Uh, onto the MLB hot stove over the weekend, really heated up. Marcus Semien signed with the Rangers. So did John Gray over the weekend. Today, I mean, literally just maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes ago, Corey Seager signed with the Rangers. So they have been big spenders. They've spent like $600 million over these past couple days in free agency. Well, they, was, they, they only spent, I mean, how much did it cost to build well, their total. Their, their stadium's a shed, so yeah, <laughs> they got right? plenty of money to spare. Yeah, it's a garage. Uh, Avisel Garcia to the Marlins. Kevin Gossman to the Blue Jays, which started a run of starting pitchers. Robbie Ray uh, just signed earlier today. Max Scherzer is going to the Mets on a three-year deal that broke the average annual value contract. Now there's Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, Jacob deGrom, all pitching in New York. One for the Yankees, two for the Mets. Those, you could argue, are the three best pitchers in all of baseball. That is uh, pretty incredible. The Dodgers keep losing, dudes. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, they still have Chris Taylor, who's a free agent. We'll see what happens with him. And then the last story, Brooks Kepka dominated Bryson DeChambeau in the match. But I've always been a Brooks Kepka guy. Then I saw a video where he was at the Duke game and was so excited to see Coach K. So I am now upset that he defeated Bryson DeChambeau. All right, uh, that ties it all together. That is your case of the Mondays. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's talk about the college football coaching carousel, Lincoln Riley to USC. That on the other side.
About 10 till 5, this is RCST with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Got a little bit of time here, so we're going to get on to our NFL Monday overreactions. Condensed version today on your Monday. We'll talk some more KU basketball coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. All right, I'll get this going. My number one NFL Monday overreaction. The Eagles should search for a Jalen Hurts replacement as soon as this offseason. Now, this may not sound that crazy because, you know, you might have just seen what Jalen Hurts did on Sunday, which was... Uh, not a good game at all. He had three or four interceptions. The Eagles only put up seven points. They lost the game to the Giants when it looked like, hey, maybe they could be a playoff team this year. And they're still in the hunt. Um, but there was literally a report Sunday morning before the game that Adam Schefter came out and said, the Eagles don't plan on pursuing a veteran uh, replacement for Jalen Hurts in the offseason. They like the way it's gone. And then that happened. I would say that they need to get somebody else because I was talking to a friend of mine who was an Eagles fan, and he was like, because they have three first-round picks as well. It's not just that they could add a, a veteran free agent. It's that they could draft somebody. And I get it. This isn't a great quarterback class. But take a shot. You have three first-round picks. Just use one of them on a quarterback and see if it works out. Hope that it works out. And he was he responded and said, no, I'd rather just build up elsewhere. Hurts is fine. Well, if that's where you're at, Jalen Hurts is fine. It's time to search for a replacement. Yeah, the problem with a fine quarterback in today's NFL is inevitably a fine quarterback is eventually going to demand way too much money against the cap. A fine quarterback for, you know, eight million bucks a year is is, is good yeah. because you can put a whole heap of talent on uh, weapons for him and then on top of that, a great defense. Uh, problem is a fine quarterback, one that's good enough to get you to nine and seven or nine and eight or ten and seven or eleven and six. Um, is that inevitably they're going to demand way too much money and it, you will never become a world champion with that. And that's the whole, to me, the whole point is, you know, win, is, is winning a title. Um, my, uh, my first overreaction, it is better to not play than to play this year in the NFL, uh, as evidenced once again by the Kansas City Chiefs and the fact that weird things keep happening. The Titans lost by the two New England Patriots this year uh, on Sunday by 15,000 points. Uh, and the Patriots now sit atop the AFC East. Um, the Bengals, they actually won, so that uh, did not help the Chiefs. However, the Chargers lost. So all of these teams uh, keep falling by the wayside, and the Chiefs uh, just sat, did nothing this weekend. Um, Tyron Matthew especially did nothing because he was supposed to be there for the mayor's Christmas tree lighting, and he was a no-show. Um so I, I don't know. Apparently, it's just better to not show up and than, than to actually risk losing. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say teams should just try to go on bye week for the rest of the season. You know, if you're the Chiefs, you're seven and four. Just deal with it. You yep. Know, by percentage, you're fine. Uh, my number two, the Dolphins will be a playoff team this year. This felt like they're no, they, they were one and seven, and they were coming off uh, a twenty six to eleven loss to the Buffalo Bills. Since that point, they've won four in a row. They beat Houston and the Jets as part of those, which aren't great, but they beat Baltimore in there on that Thursday night game. They just crushed the Panthers on Sunday, 33-10. to 10. They're now 5-7. and seven. They're not that far out of the playoffs. And here are their remaining games. The Giants at home, I'd imagine they're going to be favored. I don't know. It might be closer to a pick or like a three-point line, but very winnable game. Then they get a bye week, and then they get the Jets at home, a game they should win. They're at New Orleans after that. New Orleans has been terrible ever since Trevor Simeon's been the starter replacing the injured James They said Winston. today it was going to be a Taysom Hill. Okay, so that, announced that maybe today. scary. But again, that's not a situation where it's like, oh, we're screwed. We're, we're for sure losing that game. You're at Tennessee after that. That's tough, but Tennessee's reeling a bit. And then you have New England at home. New England might have the division locked up by then. Maybe they're resting their starters. Even then, we've seen Miami give New England troubles in 
uh, Miami. Now, the issue is, at this point, Miami would probably have to go 4-1 and one the rest of the way to have a shot at the playoffs to go 9-8. and eight. But I read off that schedule. That's not impossible they go 4-1 and one there, especially with the way they're playing. Tua Tungavailoa has been a lot better of late. They're starting to finally morph the offense around him. He is leading the NFL in yards per attempt on RPOs. At 11 yards per attempt on RPOs, they're starting to finally take advantage of that more. Defense is coming into form. I think the Dolphins might end up being a playoff team. I have nothing good to say about the Miami Dolphins until they bring back their 1990s uniforms, but mm. I'm sticking in the AFC East. With my next overreaction, I'm saying Josh Allen hates his family. He played <laughs> arguably his best game of the year on Thanksgiving, okay. which means he is much mm. happier to be working on a holiday than celebrating it with his family. The old Aaron Rodgers. Yes, exactly. Okay, so, I like yeah, that one. I'm going with that one. Okay, yeah, they, they played well. They kind of got out of I a bit of a I didn't just slander him at all, did I? No, it's fine. He has a good sense of humor. Uh, number three, the Bengals are a contender as long as they're not being talked about that way. Now, this sounds very so That impossible, means they're going to lose right? in the conference championship exactly. game. At some point, you are going to be in a round where people will talk about you. But we've seen teams before. Like, uh, the one that comes to mind, the Jacksonville Jaguars from a couple years ago, that made it to the conference championship the Mark game. Sanchez Jets. That's another good one. They made it to the conference championship game, and... Along the way, they had to, you know, they even in, in some of those cases almost won. Like Jacksonville almost beat they, New England. That they, year. Yeah, I was going to say they made some Patriots. I think it was like a bad non-fumble call. Yeah, or they, something. they made some Patriots butt cheeks pinch yeah. up a little bit in that game. And nobody ever talked about them like that. Like even when they were in the wild card, the divisional round is like, oh, they're a playoff team. But come on, they're not going to the Super Bowl. They're not winning the Super Bowl. That was the Bengals. The Bengals started, what, 5-2, and two, and then everybody was saying, oh, they're the one seed in the AFC. They're legit. They could uh, be a real contender, and then they just get crushed the next two weeks, and it was like, all right, we jumped the gun on this. Since then, nobody's talking about them anymore because you feel spurned that we jumped the gun on it. After their bye week, they've won two in a row. They just blew out the Pittsburgh Steelers. So as long as they're not being under the limelight, they're a contender. But as soon as that happens, which, again, it inevitably will because by the time you reach the conference championship or the Super Bowl, at that point, you're obviously viewed as a contender. The light will run out, but don't be surprised. Maybe they do make the conference championship game. All right, we got less than a minute, so I'm going to be very quick about this. Giants-Eagles from this past weekend was a worse game than the 2011 game between the Chiefs and the Broncos. That Chiefs-Broncos game ended with the Chiefs winning 7-3, to but at least it had some playoff intrigue. Giants-Eagles this year, I think, was 13-7, to and it was horrendous, and there was no playoff intrigue whatsoever. Maybe the worst game that's happened in my lifetime in the NFL. It was wow. bad. I, I will say... What was that? Wasn't there like a 3 nothing Miami Dolphins game? Like it was in the rain. Football? Yeah, like the rain. Steelers, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. there was a punt that just like it was, stuck Yeah, it was 2007. Yeah, it was 07. But at least that was fun because it was a monsoon, right? It was more interesting. That yeah. felt like a game that should have been on Thursday Night Football. Yes. Okay. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 oh, KLW. We got another minute. Yeah. Let's well, keep talking. I'm sorry. We will be talking some wrong. KU basketball coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, and then uh, we'll talk a little KU women's basketball. They've had a hot start as well. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on Have it. beautiful new flooring for your holiday guests and save up to 50% off. Outlet savings on in-stock carpet, vinyl, tile, wood, and... Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. Along with me is Adam Dravetta. 
here on RCST. Talked a little KU basketball in the open of the show, but we didn't get to touch on everything. We mostly kind of centered it on uh, David McCormick. If you missed that, you can check it out after the show on our Best of RCST podcast. Um, overall, the defense for KU, that was another big theme of, of the weekend, was was kind of a struggle. And after the game against Iona, which you give up over 80 points to them, that was kind of the conversation from all the players talking with the media. You could tell that even despite the win, they got kind of chewed out in the locker room, and there was a direct message from Bill Self and the coaching staff because like every every response from the players said something along the lines of, but our defense has got to get better. Yeah, you're, I mean, and and they're not far off. And, and look, Self is, um, he is obsessed with toughness. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you can always tell uh, when he... When he really likes a team, he'll compliment their toughness, and that's it's the first thing he um, he attack attacks isn't the right word, but the first thing he criticizes uh, when when a team isn't playing well. Uh, I think his his two main ones, and they both mean the same thing. One, he'll just flat saying they're they're soft, or or the other light thing he likes to say is they're playing too cool, um, which in his world means they're not getting dirty enough on defense or they're, they're too trying to be too flashy. Um, and I, I think, look, when you give up 83 points, it's, it's not a hard, you know, it's one thing to give up 83 points in a game that has an insane amount of possessions that almost has, you know, if you're, if you, if you look at it, like it has, it has as many possessions as, um, an NBA game, then that's one thing, but it wasn't, like that it you know it was um it was back it was more back and forth than a lot of bill self coach games like i said i, I made the comparison in the open that it, it looked more like a roy williams game than a bill self game but that's not gonna cut it yeah uh, because you you can't you can't count on scoring not forget 96 points a game if you allow in the 80s that means you got to score in the 80s and um, I just I don't think this team has it in them to score in the 80s as much as they need to if they're going to play deep, keep playing defense like that. Now look, North Texas, who also is nothing special, but they you know just a few days before they only allowed 59 to North Texas. I think part of it's a tempo thing with Iona. They play faster. North Texas is slower, and, and this matters too. Iona scored 36 of their 83 points in the final 10 minutes of that game. They had 47 points through the first 30 minutes. So they just kind of got hot when maybe the game was out of hand. They started hitting some threes. They went 11 of 22 from three. That matters. But here's here's the crux of all this. The one thing that Bill Self, you can almost have a staple that they rely on and that they do every single year. The one thing that Bill Self always talks about is get easy baskets on offense and don't give up easy baskets on defense. And sometimes it's to a fault. Sometimes it's almost too much so that you're leaving teams open for three too much, and we've seen KU be burned that way. But for the most part, KU ends up with really good defenses because they don't give up easy baskets. And what is clarified as an easy basket? I think we all know the answer to that. But for the most part, those would be classified under two-point shots. That doesn't mean every two-point shot's an easy basket. It can be contested. It can be a mid-range shot. But just overall... Here is the week's results for KU's defense against two-point shots. And I should probably add here, um, like, what a good two-point offense shoots. So right now, Gonzaga, this is just unbelievable. They're shooting 67% on twos this year, which would by far break the NCAA record. for the record, is more efficient than, or is is that's in efficiency, for efficiency Mm -hmm. purposes, 
Um, that that's is like a forty-three yeah, percent three-point shooter on high attempts. Unbelievable. Right? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that would be, uh, I believe, uh, a Ken Palm record. But basically, this gets you in the ballpark. If you shoot sixty percent on twos, you are going to be top five in the country in two-point con- con- percentage. North Texas shot sixty-one percent on twos against Kansas. Woof. Dayton shot sixty-three percent on twos against Kansas. Iona was down to 54%, so that's good. But again, they balanced it by going 11 of 22 from three. But even then, the 53.6%, if that is a good game for your defense, that's not going to get it done for this KU team. Now, I'm not really as concerned about, you know, where does the blame, the pieces of the blame pie go to. I'm sure you could say, you know, part of it is is maybe the guards. Part of it is maybe that KU's lead guards are all kind of undersized and, and you can get easier shots off over them if you're driving. Part of it is maybe the inconsistencies of the five-man and uh, part of it is maybe David McCormick didn't have as good of a shot-blocking weekend as he did the first week or two of the regular season. And I think another part of it as well is just I think this all goes in line with another conversation I want to have, which is about the rotation, that it still hasn't been settled and it still feels like there's so many questions. I would think the defense, as much as anything, will improve as soon as the rotation starts to settle because you know where guys are going to be. You have better communication. You have a better idea of you know what everybody is good at and what everybody's going to do, and I think that matters a ton on the defensive side of the ball, just familiarity with each other. Yeah, I hadn't even considered that. My my, the first thing I always go to um, is if you've got a good shot blocker uh, and you've got somewhat of a safety net behind you, that means your guards can be a little more aggressive. Yeah, um, and that that to be and, clear, and, that helps, and they they don't have that. But we've seen other good KU defenses that haven't had. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a necessity, mm-hmm. certainly, uh, and it's, it's certainly it's certainly not a necessity to be better than you've been so far. Um, yeah, the, ro- the the rotation is interesting because it's it's. It's not just who you're going to guard. It's it's being smart in terms of knowing, all right, am I switching off this guy? Who's the guy to my left? Who's the guy to my right? Is the guy to my right a little weaker than the guy to my left? Therefore, I should shade to my right a little more because if if I if my if I lose my guy, the guy to my you know you don't want to ever think in the mentality of well I might lose my guy, but the guy to my left will pick me up. You don't want that. You more want a mentality of I you know you want every player to think. I will pick up the guy, you know, if the guy to my right or my left misses, I will pick him up, but I will never put the person to my right or my left in a position to need to pick me up. That's the mindset you want on a defensive basketball team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think there is something to be said about you can you can scout a certain way. Uh, every player can scout their own man differently if they know who's playing with them. Um, that all will matter a lot. Uh, and, and I think, um, you know, you hope legs doesn't have anything to do with it because, you know, you're going to have to play back to backs and are not, not back to backs, but you're going to have to play, um, you know, you know Saturday, Saturday, Monday, Saturday, yeah. Mondays all, you know, through the conference season, that's going to happen. So, you know, that's, this will be a big one. What, I mean, if, if they look, um, messy on, you know, after a week of practice, or almost a week, you know, they play Friday, so they'll probably, uh, if, if you know, the way Self normally does things with such with such long breaks and only one game in a week after playing Sunday, they probably had an okay practice yesterday. I bet they have some maybe three pretty intense practices and then a, a somewhat lighter practice on Thursday, I would guess. Um, but point being, if between the time they have the practice and scout this week that they still look 
uh, middling on defense this Friday, that's you'll you'll find out a lot. And I kind of had this concern about the defense coming into the year. The fact that when you look at it individually, like without Marcus Garrett, he maybe covers so much for you. And when you look at it individually, like if we just go through the, the starting lineup, Remy Martin, not known for being a, a plus defender. Dewan Harris, plus defender. Ochag Baji, plus defender on the ball, but sometimes has lapses off the ball. Christian Brown, I don't think he's known for being a bad defender, but he hasn't been known for being like a plus defender either. David McCormick, same kind of thing. So you don't really have a, a ton of there. And then when you look at, at just the guards overall, even though Dewan's a, a plus defender, you don't have a lot of size at the lead guard positions. And then you look at other guys coming off the bench, right, with a guy like Jalen Coleman-Lands, not known for being a plus defender. Same with Jalen Wilson. Um, Zach Clements, maybe the same thing. Bobby Pettiford missed a couple defensive assignments in that game um, against Iona. So you just wonder all that. But at the same point in time, even though Marcus Garrett was one of the best defenders in the country, and that certainly helps and makes last year's defense better, Last year, you still wound up as the number 12 defense in the country. In the last two, three months of the season, you were one of the best defenses in the country. Overall, last season, you gave up 47%, 46.7% to be exact, on two-point shots. That was 62nd in the country. In just Big 12 play, you were first in the Big 12. You gave up 44.8% on two. So far this year, it's at 51%, which is 225th in the country. David McCormick was the center last year, even without the shot blocking. You have four of your five starters back from last year. Again, your best defender's gone, but even if that's a drop-off, you should think that you get some of it back at least by having all these players return. And right now they're 32nd in the country in defense. Bill Self has only had one defense finish outside the top 24 in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency in his time with KU. I would think that that's going to be corrected at some point this season. I just think a lot of it, like I was saying, comes down the rotation. And that was maybe a little disappointing for me over the week. The fact that I feel like you got no closer to figuring out what roles everybody should be in. Jalen Wilson never got to a point where he looked like, okay, we have to usurp him into the starting lineup. Um, you really didn't get clarity anymore on Bobby Pettiford versus Joe Yesifu. I think, if anything, the pendulum slung toward Joe Yesifu over the weekend. He looked really good. Over the weekend, Jalen Coleman lands in the last game, didn't really play much. What does that mean for him? And then at the center position, as we mentioned, we don't really know what's going on there. KJ Adams played a lot late in the game. Bill Self had glowing things to say about him. We've seen Zach Clements at times, other times, not so much with David McCormick. He's been inconsistent. So I, I just don't think we're really at all settled on the rotation. And I I didn't expect it necessarily to be a, a certain thing by this point. We're still only six games in the season, but you figured maybe it would be a slow chiseling. I'm wondering if there's just going to be like a kind of aha moment, a kind of light bulb going off moment at some point this year where it's just like, hey, we look back at that one game in January, and that was when they finally figured out the rotation. How much do you think – do you think we spent too much time talking about the offense when we talked in the offseason about – wow, they've got so much talent, but it's going to matter how it puts together because a lot of the talent hasn't played together when you talk about Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu um, and all of the newcomers. How much do you think we um, we may focus too much on offense there and not enough on defense? I think it was a fair conversation, though, because last year was literally Bill Self's worst offense by Ken Palm. In, in yeah, K I'm not saying we, we shouldn't have discussed the, the offense. I'm saying... 
But that's what do we saying. overlook like, the defense? But that's what I was saying. Like I, I was never really that high. That was always my worry about the defense. But I don't know. We had people on here, like guests who I really trust their basketball opinion and enjoy talking to, who said that no, they weren't really as worried about maybe the defense. They thought it would be more of a balanced team. Which look, if if, if that's the case then I feel a little better because what that tells me is that means athletically they're capable of being a good defensive team. Oh, 100%. And if that is the case, then it's going to be about learning. And if you've got a guy who has to teach them and a guy who's got to motivate them, it's, I mean, self has kind of proven his ability to do that. And that's part of the equation, too. If I were to tell you that coming into the year in the first month of the season or whatever, would you rather have a really good offensive team? Because as as much as we're talking about the defense here, they have been a really good offensive team. Would you fourth, rather if we're going by Ken Palm, they're yeah, fourth. Would you rather me say at this point in the season, you're fourth on offense, thirty second on defense, or thirty second on offense, fourth on defense? I would say defense because I think really? I'd, I'd rather the no, I'd rather their defense I'd rather it be the way it is okay, now, is yeah, what yeah, I'm trying okay, to say. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mm-hmm. I um I didn't speak clearly enough. I, I would rather it be the way it is now because I think the defense, um, I would trust a team to build their defensive abilities under Bill Self more than I think shooting, especially shooting um, with with the with the sets and the plays that Bill Self draws up. I think those are something you can learn. But I think and Self is even on the record. Self was asked, um, you know, about shooting, and he said, you know, do you teach it or you recruit it? And he said you recruit it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would trust self to to teach uh, uh, you know to build a team on defense, a team that's struggling defensively in November. I would trust them to be better defensively come January than I would a team that struggles to shoot all of a sudden figuring that out because that shooting is either something you can do when you come in as a freshman or it's something you get better at. Devonte Graham is an yeah. example of a dude who just was. He just he loved working out and he loved practicing so much and he became such a much you know such a great shooter over time. Um, shooting, you know, I, I talked in in K with KU football. I talked about weight and bulk. Weight and bulk is something you have to build in the off season. Um, I think positioning is something you can learn in in season. And like this team, I think if shooting is something you get better at in the off season. I think defensive footwork and positioning is something you can improve in season. I 100% agree with that. And the communication aspect, the knowing where each other is going to be, I think that is something. So I would rather it be like it is like this because otherwise you get the flip side to last year where eventually you hit a wall offensively if you just don't have the talent for it. It's not just the shooting. It's also the, the quickness factor, right? There wasn't enough quickness or athleticism to be good offensively. Well, you have that this year. So I would rather it be this way than the other way around, and that, at the very least, is a positive. And I think if you're looking for another positive, it's just the idea that can you get more, I'm, I'm expecting you will, from Jalen Wilson moving forward. He looked very much like a guy who didn't play the first handful of games and he was trying to join a rotation that felt like they were a little more comfortable with each other, and now you're trying to kind of uh, fit him in there. I, I think eventually it'll work out, and eventually we will start to see the Jalen that we're accustomed to. But again, that goes in line with the defense. Like I don't know when that's going to be. Yeah, and it's going to have to. Be, I mean, the 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 non-con after this week, I think you're kind of going until Kentucky. The non-con is pretty light mm-hmm. in term. I mean, by KU standards, um, they still they they've got a lot of one bid league teams. St. John's, Missouri, yeah. Colorado. Yeah, Missouri. Yeah, well, Missouri is. 
Yeah. Missouri will be up for that game. Yeah, and Colorado and St. John's, they're fine teams. Yeah. I think you play both on the road, so it is scary. But none of them are teams that are gonna have a number next year. Yeah, to you're not game. scared. You're not scared by any means. And then every team after that, Missouri, Missouri will be up for that game, but they're not a good team this year. Um, at least so far they haven't been. But and then other than that, you've got a bunch of teams from one bid leagues. Um I don't know, I talked off the air about you know, there have been some some KU teams that uh, have kind of looked a certain way in the first semester, then Christmas break comes, and then they come back and conference play begins, and you go, what has happened? Who are <laughs> these guys? And they, they just, something about those two or three weeks they get where they're the only ones on campus, um, something happens. And you wonder if that's what's going to happen with this team uh, on the defensive end anyway. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, depend on it.